Ho, 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 hello, and welcome to the festive edition of the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky, and I'm joined, as always, by the man who has just been lying in the bath listening to Ultravox. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I can see you've got your decorations up in the background there. <laughs> yeah, I've got no decorations up at all. No, I mean, we're recording this. It's the 2nd of December we're recording this. But no, it's still far too early. I don't think I'll be putting up any Christmas decorations this year, to be honest. What about you? Is your tree up? Uh, yes, it's up. I came. I was away oh. all week. Um, so my, my daughter's birthday is late November. So the sort of the sort of rule has always been, you know, we don't really talk about Christmas until her birthday's been in. You know, we celebrated her birthday. Um, Fair enough. So, yeah, I was away for a week last week I came back yesterday morning and I came into an empty house to find the Christmas tree up decorations up in the living room and everything and some some presents under the tree so it's uh, oh Christmas is well and truly kicked off in the Hearst household was there anything for you under the tree there is there is my daughter um, I think my daughter's bought me a pair of trainers oh I think yeah because just because I bought myself a pair of trainers last week and I got a bit of a hard time off my wife. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck buy myself a pair of trainers if I want. And she was like, yeah, but Christmas is coming, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw under the tree, there's a sort of shoebox-shaped ah. uh, gift with my name on it. So, uh, so yeah, so there's something there for me. But, yeah, that's it. Just- It'd be funny if it was just something else packaged <laughs> yeah. in a shoebox. Shoe that would be yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I would like that. Well, we'll look forward to finding that out after... Christmas indeed um, next year and see what was in that shoebox. Yeah, uh, but yeah, everything else good with you? Yeah, everything's good. Um, obviously, sad news yesterday. Uh, we heard about mm. John Byrne passing away. Um, yeah, especially since we just had Slab Boys so recently. Um, but he was eighty-three, good age considering. I think he smoked mm. his entire life, <laughs> and um, you know leaves behind a fairly unique uh, legacy and body of work. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully there'll be some nice tributes over the next uh, week or two on the Scottish TV or maybe even the British TV. Yeah, I was hugely saddened when I read that yesterday. As you say, especially because we just did the Slab Boys a couple of episodes ago. So it felt quite poignant. But um, yeah, it was very sad news and and an absolute trailblazer and such a a creative force. Uh, So yeah, a huge sad loss. Indeed, but we can uh, look forward to maybe doing... Maybe we'll cover Tutti Frutti earlier in the year as a bit of a yeah. tribute um, to the to the, the the great man. Yeah, I think that would be very fitting. I think that would be very fitting indeed. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation. And here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you want to share with me and our lovely listeners? Uh, well, we're always a wee bit um, wary about doing stories that involve the old firm. You know, want to analyse, uh, analyse, uh, alienate any any of the ardent supporters. But I saw this one and I thought I just had to do it. So uh, it's from the 29th of November. It's the day after Celtic um crashed out of the Champions League. Uh, I'm just reading what's in the article here. This, this is the Sun's words, not mine. Um, after losing to Lazio. And the TNT Sports presenter who covered the game wasn't pulling any punches. Um, this is Reshman 
Chowdhury. She's the um, she's TNT's host on their on their football program. Uh, that CEO beat Celtic two 0 uh, the other night. There, um, she was joined by Neil Lennon doing his uh, his football pundit. So obviously, this means that uh, there's no European football for the for the hoops after Christmas. The club's gone. It's the first time a British club has gone 15 matches without a win in the Champions League. Mm. Just a little statistic wow. there. Um, the match was shown live on TNT Sports, and at the full time whistle, things headed back to the studio with uh, host Reshman Chowdhury and pundits Neil Lennon and Owen Hargreaves. And it's fair to say that presenter Chowdhury wasn't holding back as she delivered a brutal assessment of Celtic's European campaign. The host reeled off several disappointing statistics showing how the hoops came to find themselves rock bottom of the group. She began, Celtic have managed just one point in five games. Bottom of the group with a goal difference of 11. I mean, it really is the stuff nightmares are made of. I've got Neil Lennon and Owen Hargreaves alongside me. I mean, Neil, as a Celtic man, you still call them we. I mean, how devastating is it to go out in this manner? Lennon replied, The game was there for the taking. I thought Lazio were very passive and the game was there for Celtic and somehow Celtic have managed to lose another big game. It's bitterly disappointing. That was the game they had to win. But once a mobile gets the first goal, the tie is over. It's disappointing because they are better than that. Chowdhury then continued delivering the devastating numbers. She went on, They are better than that, but in Europe... It's proven not to be the case. They are now the first British side to have not won in 15 consecutive games in Europe. I mean, it's a devastating record, and for Brendan Rodgers as well. And after uh, ex-Man United and England player Owen Hargreaves had commented on the bitterly disappointing statistics, the presenter came back with a damning verdict. She said... Looking at the bigger picture going forward, it's another season where they're not in the knockout stages and they're not going to be in the Europa League either. It's a damning indictment of Scottish football and where it is at the moment. And it's fair to say that that damning view brought around a rather awkward response. Lennon Lennon could be seen looking toward the floor with a somewhat uncomfortable expression on his face as Owen Hargreaves shuffled around in his seat. There were four full seconds of absolute silence, which, as we know, (laughs) four seconds might as well be four minutes. Uh, on a, mm. on a, like a broadcast before before Chowdhury then added or is it? <laughs> uh, Hargreaves eventually broke the, sign, the silence by replying ish uh, issuing a defence of Scottish football the former Bayern Munich midfielder added if you look at Rangers a couple of years ago they went on a brilliant run if you get it right you can have success but you have to get momentum I think Brendan will look back and see that they have made mistakes. Uh, Lennon had no more, had didn't, apparently had nothing else to add. So it's not often that you see uh, Neil Lennon lost for words um, apart no. apart from that video uh, taken last Christmas when he was absolutely hammered at Parkhead to give everybody abuse. <laughs> I threw a pie at Neil Lennon once. <laughs> It didn't hit him. Oh. Yeah, Pataudry. It didn't hit him, thankfully, because I would have been thrown out probably. But uh, yeah, I think it was just at the start of the second half, obviously an Aberdeen Celtic game. And I was in the South Stand, maybe about five, six rows from the front. And they scored. I think it was him that scored. And th- he basically came and celebrated right in front of us. So I just fucking launched my pie at him. <laughs> <laughs> landed on the pitch but just a, a few feet away from him but right. uh, it was a shame and then I was sad because I'd lost my pie lost your pie um, but yeah would have been worth it if it just fucking hit him right in the face um, did, did, did he not pick it up and tuck it into the waistband of his shorts to have it later on <laughs> no no uh-huh. he didn't unfortunately um, a very divisive character Neil Lennon mm. I mean he's a 
a kind of a, a Scottish football legend, really, because you know he's part of that that Celtic team. But yeah, very divisive character and very temperamental character as well. Mm. I know a lot of Aberdeen fans have maybe said like, if, if we needed a new manager, Neil Lennon, but I wouldn't touch him with a fucking barge pole. You wouldn't? No, no, he's too problematic I think yeah. he's, he's got a bit of an attitude and uh, in the past obviously he's left jobs because there's been maybe a bit of animosity or a bit of uh, grievances with his employers so I right. don't think he's the easiest person to get along with so mm-hmm. no I wouldn't touch him but yeah I, I don't think there's anything wrong in him referring to Celtic as we because he spent so long there and I think he's got an affinity with the club. That's his boyhood club as well I think isn't it? I think he he grew up in Northern Ireland supporting Celtic. So I don't don't see anything wrong with that to be fair. You do often see a lot of ex-players you know okay I mean it's a wrong maybe assumption like Gary Neville for example he always refers to Man U as we but Mm -hmm. I mean he spent his whole career there so that's different you could potentially say. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, per se. I don't either. I think, uh, you know, she's she's sort of set him up to defend his club. And, you know, she obviously... was. I think she was maybe hoping to maybe get a little bit of that Lenin passion, you know, by mm. throwing all those stats at him. But maybe his agents had the word and said, look, you know, this... TV gig can be a can be an earner. Just <laughs> gotta keep your patience. Yeah. Like Alan Hansen managed twenty five years when he retired. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I've met I've met Neil Lennon um, more than once. I met him at we uh, when I worked for uh, a restaurant company in uh, Scotland. We uh, bought some some advertising space at Parkhead, and we got an invite to a bit of a corporate thing one night. And uh, it was it was friendly enough. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I wasn't. Talking to him for ages, it was very much a 30 second, hi, how do you do, blah, 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 and that was it. But he seemed all right. Was he pissed? Not at that point, but I mean, just (laughs) just as I was leaving, um, I could see he was having a laugh with somebody at the bar, and it was definitely the the laugh of somebody who's perhaps imbibed a few too many, you know? Mm. (laughs) Anyway. Yep, so, Nailock Celtic, there's always next year, there's always next season, you know? (laughs) That's what they say, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Better That's luck awesome. next season. Well, you could, right. They could just let you concentrate on the on the one and a half horse race that is the Scottish Premiership. <laughs> exactly. They can focus all their attention on that. So they don't need to worry about that. And obviously they're out of the League Cup. So yep. they could focus on the Scottish Cup as well. Indeed. Anyway. That's old Neil getting a bit of a roasting on TNT. What's your <laughs> what's your first story this week? Uh, my first story, Greg, is from the Scottish Sun this week, and the headline is "There for You." Now, I can't remember if we've covered this girl before, or if we've just maybe mentioned her in before we recorded as one of the articles. But I, I, I've got a funny feeling we have covered this girl before. But anyway, uh, this is a Scots nail technician who has paid a very permanent tribute to late friend star Matthew Perry after getting a tattoo of the cast. Nicky Hardy, 37, from Aberdeen, holds the Guinness World Record for having the most inkings of rapper Eminem. Does that ring a bell? Have we yeah, covered that before? I think it, yeah, I don't know if maybe we spoke about it off off. Uh, off air, um, yeah, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it, it does ring a bell for sure. It's maybe one of the stories that didn't make the grade one of uh, yeah. one episode. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but as well as her love for the real Slim Shady, the mum of one is a massive fan of the iconic US sitcom. 
She got the artwork on her thigh after Perry, who shot to fame as Chandler Bing, died aged 54 last month. Nikki said, I've been watching since before I became an Eminem fan. Lol. And I can't go to sleep without it on. So it's a real comfort for me. I was truly gutted about Matthew Perry, so that's what made me get it. Nikki was crowned for having 23 tattoos of Eminem in 2020 and now has more than 30 of them. She took things one step further last year when she got married in Detroit, Eminem's home city, and said her vows in the first venue he ever played, visited his restaurant, and even got a tribute tattoo before getting photos in front of a mural to the lyricist. Nikki, whose hubby Chris is also a fan, but well, I guess you'd have to be, because yeah. if your wife has 30 M&M <laughs> tattoos, you're going to have to kind of be a fan. Nikki, whose hubby Chris is a fan too, said, We got married in Detroit. It's St Andrew's Hall where M&M first performed. We got wedding photos at the D12 mural. And then we went to Mom's Spaghetti and got our tattoos. Chris is a huge fan too. He's amazing at learning the lyrics, whereas I'm terrible. <laughs> but you could just read the tattoos you got, uh, the lyrics you've got tattooed on you, I guess. Uh, we both got matching Detroit Ds and 313s. He has no other Eminem tattoos, but plans to get some more. Uh, Nikki required two tattoo artists and a dermatologist to verify the number of Eminem tattoos she had in order to officially be handed the world record. Away from her nail business, eat, sleep, polish, she still has one dream left before her Eminem quest is complete. She added, he does know of me. I know that for a fact. <laughs> I'd like to think he'd think it's cool, but who knows? And it's my ultimate dream to meet him, have him sign me and get that tattooed. So that is um, the Eminem fan who got a Matthew Perry friends tattoo to, to commemorate. I guess that's taken up large space that there could be another Eminem tattoo there, but she's decided to go with Matthew Perry. Um, so yeah, in terms of like a TV show, would you ever get a TV show tattoo? No. You've got one already, haven't you? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't know. All, all, I, all I could think about when you when you're reading the article there was, could she have any more Eminem tattoos? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you don't have a TV show tattoo? You've got one on your fucking arm. Oh yeah, I do. I've got the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but this, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose, but... I, I think The Saint was a series of books before it was a TV show. Okay, so yeah. that's the excuse. So, oh, so it's a literal, uh, a literary tattoo rather than yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a TV show tattoo that you're trying to say there. Okay, fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Yeah. Do you know Robbie that's... Williams? Is, I watched the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's actually quite good. Mm. And he's got the Saint, uh, the Saint uh, logo tattooed on his back. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Good. You're in good company I'm there. Good company you're just with... like. Just like Robbie Williams. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a weird documentary because literally nobody else is interviewed on it apart from him. And then the last episode, like his wife gets to speak a little bit. Like they don't interview oh. any of the Take That guys or any of the guys that he worked with over the years, which, oh, maybe, wow. which maybe says quite a lot, perhaps. Uh, okay. <laughs> is there anything that you love enough that you would get over 30 tattoos of? I don't think so because. I mean, I, I like, I've got four tattoos. I'd probably, I'll probably, if I didn't live in Dubai, I'd probably have more than four by now. And I'll definitely have more tattoos as I age. But the thing about tattoos, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. They're sore. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're sore. You know, like, yeah, I mean, like, 
depending on where you get them, they can be really sore and not as painful. Mm. But ultimately, you know, they hurt. Um, my, my, my wife got a tattoo when we were back in Glasgow in the summer, and she reckons that it didn't hurt at all, and she nodded off in the tattoo mm. scene. But um, she's like, I don't know what the fuss is about. It's not sore. It was, it was, it was on a forearm. I, I, I think it depends. I guess it depends on the artist and maybe the tattoo, because I got a new tattoo about a month ago, and it didn't hurt, like, genuinely didn't hurt um whereas and and the, the woman was asking me like how's the pain and i was like it's fine it's okay yeah. so it's funny because i'm saying i've got four tattoos as well and i was like the, the one i have on my other upper arm i was like that nipped a little bit but not too mm. much i was like whereas the one i got on my forearm which is a small tattoo that we got when yeah. you got your saint tattoo i was like that hurt like fuck mm-hmm. and she looked at it and she went yeah i can tell that hurt She's like, he's gone really deep. She said, it's a good tattoo. Yeah. Um, it's fine. But she says, it's what we call a Braille tattoo. Like, if you run your finger over it, you can read it. Right. And I was like, yeah, it was strange. That hurt. And she went, yeah, I can tell it hurt. Mm. Um, it looks like it. She said, I've got a couple that are like that. She said, there's nothing wrong with it. It'll be fine. But yeah. it, he's gone in a bit deep there. So, yeah, yeah I guess it depends on the... On the artist. The artist, I suppose, in terms of the, the pain threshold. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so it's yeah. a bit weird that. I mean, the other thing that's weird about what she said there, she can't fall asleep unless Friends is playing in the background. Yeah. That just sounds torturous. There's a lot of people like that, though, that listen to podcasts or, or have something on in the background when they're yeah. going to sleep. Yeah, but not... But not I mean, I, I sometimes do. I'll sometimes fall asleep listening to something. Um, mm. Especially if I'm having problems sleeping. If I'm, you know, if I've got a lot of my mind or whatever and I want to sort of settle my mind down a bit, I'll listen to something and nod off. But the TV on, it fucking lights the room up. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do think that's a little bit problematic. I don't know if I agree with that. What do you listen to when you're trying to get to sleep? The culture swally? Uh, no, because it, it just... Because the culture swally is so entertaining. It just keeps me, you know. Um, no, maybe they could be a bit of classical music or something, something like that, that I could just listen to that's sort of nice to hear in the background and diverting without being too stimulating, you know. Okay. What about you? Do you, yeah, fair uh, enough. Are you like a sort of room has to be pitch dark, no sound? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has to be pitch dark, has to be cold, and no sound. Yeah. I, c- I can't sleep in a warm room, or if there's any light, I can't sleep. Yeah. Or if there's any noise, nah, I'm um, gone. I think I used to when I was younger. Maybe I, I would listen to music um, when I was, or, you know, yeah, usually music, like if I was trying to go to sleep. But no, now it has to be complete silence, complete darkness, and then I can nod off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't, I'm all right. I can, I don't need it to be pitch dark. My wife does. Um, and if she, she'll sleep with an eye mask on quite often. So it's like, you know. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, like the tiniest chink of light or or the tiniest bit of noise will wake my wife up. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I, I, I'm not easy to wake up, <laughs> sleep through, <laughs> stay nothing. Well, there you go, listeners. Now you know our sleeping habits and what we get up yeah. to. Uh, so yeah, so good luck to, uh, to the girl and I hope she gets some more M&M tattoos and her husband, Chris, gets some more. M&M tattoos as well. Who knows, maybe he'll catch up with her eventually and steal her Guinness World Record. Mm, that could be uh, love on the rocks if he starts yeah. encroaching on her record-holding fame. I just can't think of anything I would want 30 tattoos <laughs> of. It's just insane like to be such a devoted M&M fan. I mean, what if he something comes out about him and then she's branded for life with all those tattoos? I know, exactly. I mean, look at all those people that had to get their Rolf Harris tattoos removed a few years ago. <laughs> 
Would you? That's not a bad idea for a tattoo, actually. A little Rolf, Rolf a tattooed, tattooed on your shoulder or something. It probably wasn't a bad idea for a tattoo about twenty years ago. I think these days you might struggle to find a tattoo artist willing to do a Rolf a the, the only UK. condition would be if they were tattooing it on you, they have to stop halfway through and say, can you tell what it is yet? <laughs> that's the... <Yeah. laughs> that's the <laughs> oh, dear. I saw um, on, in Viz, you know, like uh, Viz, they have the letters page and somebody had written in saying um, about, um, what's his name, the Nigel Farage. They were like, um, see, Nigel Farage was missed off the New Year's Honours list again. Imagine, imagine knowing that the Queen thinks that you're more of a cunt than Jimmy Savile, Rolf Harris and Stuart Hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, okay, uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? So, we have been in touch with uh, this fella before, um, uh, Daza from Ayrshire, um, who appeared... Oh. On come dine with me, uh, just deep fry and everything. He's become a bit of a, a bit of a sort of influencer, I suppose. Yeah, food influencer. Um, so this mm-hmm. comes from the Daily Record yesterday. Headline is: Deep fried Mars bar made in Ayers Tempura restaurant launched into space after foodie Daza makes world history. <laughs> it's going to be remembered for <laughs> sending a <laughs> fried Mars bar into space. Um, so a deep fried Mars bar has boldly gone where no deep-fried Mars bar has gone before. The infamous battered delicacy maids in Ayrshire has been launched into space. Popular air restaurant Tempura fried off the gut-busting snack to be blasted into the sky after teaming up with top Scots foodie Daza. The online funny man, known for his iconic Does It Fry video series, chose the chain, which boasts venues in Air Presswick and Kilmarnock for the Madcap Challenge, uh, and their iconic batter was strong enough to withhold the 62-mile journey before crashing back to Earth at 200 miles an hour. Uh, Daza shared the outcome of his epic stunt to his 343,000 followers on Facebook this morning. He's almost got as many as we do. Uh, the clip... <laughs> The clip which has chalked up 14,000 views shows each step of the progress made. Daza can first be spotted in Tempura in Air, where the owner, Brandon Van Rensburg, real name, can be seen handing over the battered goods. The social media star then heads down to, Sh- to Sheffield to Sent Into Space HQ, where a top team made his dream possible. Stunning clips then show the delicacy take flight attached to a balloon as it soared through the strat the stratosphere before hitting space. The deep fried Mars bar then floats in orbit before the balloon is released and it tumbles to the ground. Daza and Brandon then race to Lincoln, where the deep fried Mars bar crashes to the ground in the, in a field. Speaking on his video, Daza recalls the moment that ends up in space. The food vlogger said, Trust me, I cannot believe my eyes either. I think I can comfortably say this has been the only deep-fried Mars bar in the history of the world that has been into space. (laughs) When a Mars bar crash lands, Daza then picks up the far-travelled tempura and takes a bite (laughs) before scoring it. Before scoring it 5 out of 5, Tempura shared the clip announcing we did it. Boldly going where no Tempura has gone before. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what to say. (laughs) 
He this is a, brilliant. I, <laughs> the dream of sending a deep fried marshmallow into space, and he made it a reality. It's fantastic. I do follow. I know we've we've um, featured Daza before. Uh, yeah. To, to the come dine with me, but I do follow him on social media, and there's something I love watching his videos. I, <laughs> I've loved him from the Does It Fridays. Yeah. And now, effectively, a lot of his videos is he will order ridiculous things from takeaways and and test them out and review them. Yeah. Or. Or even just reviews, like he, he has all this, a lot of his videos are, I've ordered a kebab from the lowest rated kebab place in Glasgow <laughs> on, you know, Just Eat, and yeah. let's see what it is, and then he'll give it his, um, his review, and he's hilarious in terms of his content, I really do enjoy watching his videos, <laughs> but this is just an amazing stunt, sending a deep fried Mars bar in space, and fucking good on you, Dazza, that's yeah. fantastic, like... Brilliant. That has to be the only time that's been done. Oh, for sure. And like, I'm quite interested in the centre in Sheffield that basically just sends things into space. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how, it must cost a fortune, though, to do that. It's not like you're just sending a deep fried Mars bar up in a hot air balloon or something. You're sending yeah. it into fucking space. Like, yeah, yeah. you'd be, does Jeff Bezos want a deep fried Mars bar when he's <laughs> up there or something? I don't think anybody wants a deep fried Mars bar. No, <laughs> I definitely don't want a deep fried Mars bar. I can tell you that for now, no. I've, ne- I've, I've, never, I've never tried one. I don't know how. Neither have I, no. Yeah. I've never had any confectionery deep fried uh, so no. Yeah, I, I worked in a restaurant where we did deep fried ice cream, which was actually quite nice. Um, mm. it's like a process to it, you know. Like you've got to batter it and do it quite quickly, obviously. Yeah, but it was quite tasty. Sort of cinnamon kind of batter on the outside and the ice cream inside. Mm. That's quite tasty. But um, that sounds lovely. But yeah, I mean, whenever, whenever I, usually the only time I come into, come into contact with deep fried Mars bars is when somebody's making like a fairly racist uh, mm. comment about where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've covered that I think before yeah. on the Swally in terms yeah. of that does seem to be the go- one of the go tos yeah. of uh, Scotland if you're trying to give us abuse. It's either that we're tight or we all wear kilts and play bagpipes or we deep fried Mars bars all yeah. the time. But yeah, that is probably one of the worst. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, that was a successful launch uh, for Daza there. I mean, you can you can we'll put um we put a wee link to Daza's socials in the description for the podcast, and you can go and see the video. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my next story. What's your next one this week? Um, I've got another food-based story actually, oh. Greg, and this is from the Gazette this week, and it's about a Renfrewshire hotel who have taken a controversial decision and banned mince pies from their menu exactly Uh, the Glenhill Hotel and Spa in Renfrew will not serve mince pies at all this festive season after what it says have been years of low demand and high wastage those who visit the hotel over the festive period will instead be offered a host of other dessert options it'll be the first time in the hotel's 53 year history that they will not serve the Christmas staple choice Glen Hill Hotel and Spa Chief, Willie Miller, not that one, said, (laughs) Every year we buy them and serve them, and with a very few exceptions, we bin them, which feels like an awful waste. Not many people at all seem to like them, even less want them at this the end of their meal, so it feels like a bit of a no-brainer to simply ban them this Christmas and focus on offering desserts and sweet treats, which our customers do want. We think we might be the first venue in Scotland to remove mince pies from the Christmas menus, but it's in line with customer feedback and will also mean a reduction in wastage, which can only be a good thing. Bye-bye mince pies, gone (laughs) and forgotten. 
So, I don't agree with this. I don't Mince agree. pie is a yeah. fucking staple of Christmas. How can you ban them? Okay, I agree, wastage, but you don't bend them and you give them away or just get them homeless or leave yeah. them on the bar or something. But surely someone's going to eat them. And plus, mince pies, they not keep for fucking ages as well. Well, I can tell you that they do. And the reason I know they do is because, like, my, I, I like a mince pie. I'm not, I'm not like a mince pie fanatic. But I look forward to having a couple of mince pies at Christmas. You know, I like it when they come out. I like the smell and everything. It just, you know, it, so it gets me in the in the festive spirit, you know, having a wee mince pie. Um, but when I, w- I went home in April this year to see my mother, and she obviously thinks that uh, I'm, a absolute, I'm absolutely mince pie daft, right? <laughs> Don't ask me why. <laughs> um and my mum makes pins, she makes mince pies every year, so she had she had saved some for me in the freezer and she defrosted them. Oh, um, so I, so I could have some mince pies in April when I was back. So, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Oh, very nice. I guess uh, he's speaking about wastage, but I suppose if you have like a table of six people, yeah, in dining, and then you put the mince pies on the table as kind of a offering with your coffee and stuff and maybe only three of them have so you're left with three mince pies legally because they've been on a table they've been served are you allowed to then just stick them back in the fridge and give them out to the next people or no do they they effectively have to be <laughs> binned don't they yeah they do so I can see what he's going. Yeah, I can see what he's going for there. I, then, mean, I guess there probably is a lot of wastage. To your earlier point, you could donate them. You could take them, you know, to like a like a soup kitchen or you know a sort of place for mm. for people that are down in their luck. I'm sure they I'm sure they would appreciate them. But yeah, you can't um, you can't sell them. <laughs> in case yeah. Some, in case someone's had their tongue in them or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, oh well. You know what Christmas parties can be like. Get a bit out of get a bit out of order, don't they? Sort of once a year bevy merchants. Never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I've seen American Pie. I know what can happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you never know. Yeah, this mince pie is like a bagel. What's happened? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, my, my my wife doesn't like mince pies, so uh, so controversial. Um, I know. Yeah, she doesn't like them. But she, 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 she doesn't like raisins or anything. It's, a, it's not the taste; it's the texture. She, she, okay. Do you know what else she doesn't like? She doesn't like meringue. Oh, okay. I love me. I love meringue. I mean, it, I mean, you can mm. you can you, you can feel it dissolving your teeth while you eat it. But yeah, I love meringue. She didn't like it. That's a Christmas staple. My niece makes. Well, my sister used to make the most amazing pavlova every Christmas. Um, but then my niece has surpassed her effectively. Oh, really? <laughs> she now makes the most amazing pavlova. Um, my niece also makes the most incredible. It, See, I'm not a dessert fan, and I'm, I don't really have like a sweet tooth as such, but there's mm-hmm. one dessert, if it's on the menu somewhere, I will have it, and that's sticky toffee pudding. Oh, yeah. And my niece makes the best sticky toffee pudding I've ever tasted in my entire life. Right. So, I take my hat off to her for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't order, I never order dessert. No, I, if I'm out, mm. I never feel like, I never feel like having dessert, but if I'm out at someone's house and they say, and they offer dessert, I'll have it. And if it's like mm. a, if it's like a laid on meal in a restaurant, like a function or a wedding or something, I'll have dessert. But like, I don't, yeah. I wouldn't like order it for myself. <laughs> no, I'd be the same. I'd rather have a cheese board or something than yeah. a dessert. Um, oh, don't want that. But yeah, fucking love a cheese board. Love a cheese board. Um, but yeah. But anyway, well, you won't get any mince pies if you go to that hotel in Renfrewshire because there are off the menu this Christmas. So there you go. Right enough. Never mind. Okay, Greg. Um, have you seen anything else this week? 
Well, I, th- I think it was the last episode I spoke about the guy who made a big profit on a, a kind of bit of Macallan uh, marketing merchandising from hmm. the early 20th yeah. century. He found the wooden display box. Well, this article is a, it's quite a good companion piece to that one. Um, so the world's oldest whiskey, which was once sipped by a young Queen Victoria, allegedly, goes under mm. the hammer. So bottles of whiskey thought to be the oldest in the world are attracting bids of thousands of pounds each from collectors after being discovered in a Scottish castle. Incredibly, the same batch was once sipped by a young Queen Victoria. The 24 dusty bottles were among a cache of around 40. I don't know what happened to the other... 16 then, uh, a cache of around 40 hidden behind the cellar door in the 750-year-old Blair Castle in Perthshire, the ancestral home of the Dukes of Atoll. Uh, Victoria enjoyed a dram while staying at the castle with her consort, Prince Albert, in 1844. According to a plaque found with a stash, the whiskey was distilled in 1833 and matured for eight years before being bottled, making it the oldest vintage in existence. Uh, the bottles have gone on sale in the Perth-based Witchy Wishy Whiskey Auctioner's online sale, where they're expected to fetch over a quarter of a million pounds each. Wow. Um, several of the bottles hit their £10,000 reserve price within hours of the sale opening on Friday evening, more than a week before the sale closes uh, closes on Monday. So if you want to get a bid in, still got a couple of days, Nicky. Magic. Thank you. <laughs> it says the remaining bottles of the remarkably well-preserved scotch will be exhibited as part... Oh, that's, this is what's happening to other 16. They are going to be exhibited as part of the Blair Castle whis- uh, visitor experience. So there you go. If you want to see some old whiskey, I don't think you'll be invited to taste it, especially if bottles are going for a quarter of a million quid each. Um, you may want to go and visit uh, Blair Castle in 2024. Have you just tipped people off to do a, an angel share type heist? <laughs> But um, possibly, <laughs> I'm gonna go. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. That's the only way I would um, ever be tasting a whiskey that's that expensive. If I, if you stole it and put it in a nine bottle. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, exactly. That's an insane amount. It's incredible how much some whiskeys go for. Just oh, insane. I but I think there's something a bit sad about if you because if you spend a quarter of a million pounds on a bottle of whiskey, you're probably never going to open it. No, you know what I mean. And then no. you know you maybe you go maybe it's going to maybe you'll leave it behind when you pass away or you'll sell it on make a bit of money off it. But it's only going to appreciate in value one would assume. So yeah. it seems it's a bit sad that it's never going to be tasted. I think. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like a like a work of art that you will buy that you can admire. Yeah. If you're buying the whiskey, you're just admiring the bottle. Imagine having a party and somebody accidentally cracks open your quarter of a million bottle. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be hiding that away, aren't you, if you're having a party? You're not going to be leaving that out on the drinks trolley. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's going to be like under lock and key. Um, Yeah. It's funny, when I was doing the uh, social media for the last episode of the Culture Swally, which we covered the Outlaw mm. King, um, which mm-hmm. is still available. Uh, if you haven't downloaded it, go and download it and listen to it. It never occurred to me because I'd always just assumed that James Cosmo wouldn't bother with social media, <laughs> right? But for some reason, I thought, well, have a look. You know, maybe uh, maybe at least they might even have a... You know, there's quite a lot of famous people have, like, fan pages, don't they, where people... Yeah. You know. So not only does he have an Instagram account, he's got two Instagram accounts. But the thing is, he's obviously started the first one. He's put a couple of pictures on there and then just left it. 
like years ago. And then at some point later on, he started another one and done exactly the same thing again. <laughs> so I just put a few videos on there where he's talking to the camera and stuff. And then he's just forgotten about it, clearly, or just lost his password or something. <laughs> Oh, uh, good old Cosmo. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That's amazing. Well, you get double the Cosmo then. Well, I, do. I guess not. If you're following him, you probably <laughs> yeah. only get one because he's probably only posting on one nowadays. But yeah, hey. be, yeah. I don't think, think he'd posted for a long time um, when I had a look there. Like a really long time. But I was wondering if he might have a Christmas party. I, I was thinking about, because I was thinking about him because I was doing a social media and stuff for the episode. And we, we were calling him our patron saint of the podcast. Mm. And I was thinking, imagine him having like a party and he's got... And I just imagine that if he has a party, all those Scottish actors would be around, you know, Gilly yeah. Gilchrist. Would, would come round and you know Gary Lewis maybe they would probably send an invitation to, Hol- to Hollywood Butler not really expecting him to turn up you know what I mean but send no. an invitation anyway imagine James kind of going around making sure everybody's glasses are full make sure everyone's got enough to eat Rab Affleck on the door Rab Affleck yeah you know I can imagine like, oh Rab you sit down I, can imagine, I imagine that Rab Affleck's probably racked with arthritis because he's such a fucking unit <laughs> you know what I mean you're probably not allowed to Mention Kevin Guthrie's name at all. I imagine that James, I imagine James being bitterly disappointed in Kevin Guthrie. He probably thought he was quite a nice kid when he met him on the set of uh, of, uh, Get Juked, and he's just really disappointed. Don't speak to me. Yeah. Don't speak to me about that boy Guthrie. I can imagine him saying. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah, I can just imagine Brian Pettifer, like, looking around the buffet table, picking out what he's wanting to have. Yeah, <laughs> speaking yeah. to everyone when he's there. Yeah. Mouthful of sausage rolls. A little frame picture of uh, Jake Darcy and the mantelpiece there. Or maybe a wee candle beside it. <laughs> Matt Costello doing the washing up. <laughs> Telling everybody about the time he was in Wonder Woman. <laughs> I had to do an American accent Wonder Woman. I was... I was on the screen with Chris Pine for a couple of minutes. And then yeah. and then Cosmo would come in. Only a couple of minutes. <laughs> Did a whole fucking film with the boy. <laughs> what a fucking brilliant Christmas party that would be. That would be amazing. I know. Imagine. I wonder if James has got like it's some old whiskey that maybe he's got one or two favourites that he's like, yeah, boys, come on, we'll go and nip it to the, the wee secret man cave that he's got and he gets the good gets the good drams out and the good glasses just for a couple of his, his closest muckers, you know? Who do you think? Um, I remember being at a party when I was about 13, 14. It was a house party. Um, girls' parents are away. And it was one of my first house parties I'd been to, actually. And they were all a little bit older. And there was a, a lot of alcohol involved there. And towards the end of the night, the one image I have is someone had unscrewed the bathroom door <laughs> and was using it as a slide to go down the stairs. <laughs> Who do you think's likely to be doing that at James Cosmo's party? And how battered are they going to get after Cosmo <laughs> finds out they've unscrewed his bathroom door? Imagine, like, maybe, maybe sort of 10 years ago, somebody like, well, 10, 15 years ago, maybe someone like Martin Compton, you know, he's just like yeah. setting out in his career. He's still he's still a bit young and maybe a wee bit naive, and he probably get, has a few drinks on his way there because he's maybe a wee bit nervous about being with all these old sort of Scottish journeyman actors and just ends up making a cunt of himself and I can imagine yeah. imagine probably Cosmo didn't invite him back for a few years and then you know maybe there's been a bit of an olive branch and Cosmo's seen him doing like mayflies or something like that and thought alright he's mature enough now he can he can come back to the to the Cosmo Christmas back. party but yeah. William Ruane who egged you on is still banned yeah he's not allowed back in. yeah 
none of those, none of those River City cunts are coming. <laughs> apart, apart from Eileen McCallum, she, she gets a pass. Eileen <laughs> McCallum and friend. Stephen McCall. <clears throat> of course. Dumb, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Stephen McCall would be DJing, probably. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. He would. And... And uh, Gavin Mitchell obviously would be the barman. It goes without saying. So <laughs> it's, it's a fucking great party. I'd I love know. to go to this party. Yeah, me too. Gregor Fisher might be kind of cutting about, just maybe yeah. sipping a soda water. People try to get him, some of the younger crowd try to get him to do Rabsy Nesbitt. It's like, look, come on, just just playing. I was just playing a character there. I'm not. I'm not even a heavy drinker. <laughs> yeah, James, if you're listening, um, can we get an invite to your 2024 Christmas party? Because it sounds fucking amazing. Can it please be just like we've described? Because <laughs> yeah. it uh, sounds like a phenomenal party that I really want to go to. Yeah, I can imagine them having like a barbecue like in the summer, James. You know what I mean? But he's doing the cooking. Nobody else. Gets oh, the- oh. No one else gets no near one. gets near the barbecue apart from James. You know, no one else is touching that barbecue. No, not at all. He's uh, he's in charge. He's chief barbecue man. He's yep. there with his barbecue with his apron on. It says "Kiss the Chef." <laughs> yeah, and the um, he's got his tongs and he's. Uh, I mean, everything's fucking burnt though, isn't it? Like Cosmo <laughs> likes everything well done. He does, yeah. No, and everyone's too, everyone's too scared to mention to see anything yeah. to him, you know. <laughs> Those sausages are yeah. fucking burnt to fuck, but that's the way that Cosmo likes them. <laughs> and there's there's no grilled onions or anything. It's just a fucking sausage in a bun. <laughs> you can have some ketchup if you want. Sausage there's no American there. mustard. It's Coleman's, um, or you know, yeah. horseradish, something strong. But there's no none of this American. Sweet Sweet mustard shite in Cosmo's house. No, it's Coleman's had, mustard ketchup. He, that's it. He, he has a few cans of tart special. So what happens later on <laughs> is that a bit later on, the, all the burgers are like black on the outside and still a bit pink in the middle. That everyone's a wee bit. No one wants to kind of pull them up on it. You know? No, no, yeah. you don't pull up Cosmo. Um, <laughs> that's just something you don't want to do at all, especially um, when, no. he, when you're a guest in his garden. He's got his gnome. Yeah. He's got his gnomes that he's been collecting for ages. Everyone knows. Don't get pissed and knock over a gnome. <laughs> you won't get asked back. <laughs> back no, Dave, and, Dave. Dave Anderson did that one year, and he never got invited back. Yeah, just, Dave Anderson was over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> was on the blacklist. Yeah. He was pissed. Trousers around his ankles. <laughs> Having a pish in the garden, knocked over one of the gnomes, and then had to flee the scene. <laughs> yes. Cosmos chasing him with his tongs. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was like bustled out by Johnny Watson and Andy Gray before Cosmo spotted what happened. <laughs> Put in the back of his XR3 and driven home by Mrs. Anderson. <laughs> oh, we never speak of that day ever again. Poor Dave. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Uh, so yeah. Let's go to the barbecue. Um, okay. Uh, right. I guess that wraps up the news for this week then, Greg. Um, so before we go into what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsor is, of course, Doric Skateboards, a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and the culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland and to create designs that reflect life in that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand and they have produced some amazing designs over the years including an Annie Lennox inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric Skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies, sweatshirts and you can also fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies and caps. 
Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure that he brings the latest designs to the market, but always with a Doric twist, including the Ballater toy shop design, inspired by Scotland the What, which we actually need to cover quite soon, Greg. So get yourself a wonderful Christmas present or a present for someone else and check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on DoricSkateboards.com and you can follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see all the amazing designs on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at all the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies and tees on offer and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, same as the name of this podcast, and get your 15% off. And make sure you place your order by the 18th of December to ensure Christmas delivery. That's DoricSkateboards.com, link in the description of this episode. Okay, Greg, so it was your choice on the Swally this week. So, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? So, ever since, I think ever since we've done the, we've been doing the podcast, we've always, always sort of had a wee bit of a... I wouldn't say dread, but sort of this time of year, we always want to find something seasonal. And whilst it's quite easy to find New Year's Eve-related Scottish stuff, it's, the Christmas stuff is a little harder. But I found a, a deep cut, <laughs> she'll say, um, <laughs> it, which is set at Christmas and was broadcast at Christmas. So I've gone for the BBC's uh, TV movie from 1992, uh, The Bogeyman, starring Robbie Coltrane, uh a whole host of um, Swally favourites, uh, Ron Donaghy, Jake Darcy, uh, Craig Ferguson, Majure, Bill Murdoch, Gene Anderson. I can't believe and, you haven't mentioned Freddie Bordley. And Freddie Bordley. And <laughs> 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 Freddie, yeah. J- James Dean with the flu, Fred, uh, Freddie Bordley. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was first broadcast. I think it's only been broadcast maybe once. Not particularly well received, um, mm. it would seem, by the BBC, BBC Two, uh, December 1992. Uh, it was written by Paul Pender, Alan Grant and John Wagner, uh, actually based on a comic written by uh, by Grant and Wagner, who you might, some of our listeners may know are the guys who created Judge Dredd, um, our mutual friend's favourite. So... Uh, it tells a story of um, Francis Clooney, played by Robbie Coltrane, uh, who is a psychiatric patient uh, who takes on uh, various different personalities, um, mainly Humphrey Bogart, hence the name The Bogeyman, but also Arnold Schwarzenegger, as well as his himself <laughs> um, uh, and his um, escape from the mental hospital that he's in and the adventure he goes on in the streets of Glasgow, um, bringing down a crime gang whilst staying out of the hands of the police. So I had never, ever seen this before. Um, had you seen it before? Did you watch it when no, it was on? No, never, no. First time I'd seen it. So I, I was aware of it, but I think I was only aware of it because of doing research for things for the Swally in yeah. terms of what we could cover. Um, but I'd never seen it. So this was my first viewing. Yeah, me too. I'd never seen it. I mean, I was aware of it. And I, I don't know if it's just my memory playing tricks on me, but I seem to remember seeing it advertised when mm. in the in the lead up to Christmas. I feel like it might have been part of, uh, remember, like the BBC. Well, I guess they still do. You know, the BBC have the sort of Christmas trail don't they you know yeah. like what's going on in eastenders and christmas specials and noel's christmas house party and all that sort of thing and i feel like um if, as i say my memory might be playing tricks on me but i feel like i i remember it being advertised in there so i watched it for the podcast what did you what did you think i i can't decide what i thought <laughs> about this it's it, it's quite entertaining but also it's quite crap in a way. Mm. Um, it's it's not the best thing I've ever seen. I was a little bit bored by it. 
it's it's quite pun heavy. Yeah, there are a few really good jokes, and mm. we'll come to those later. There are a few things that did make me laugh, but for a lot of it, I felt it was a little bit lackluster. I guess because it is, I mean, it's based on a comic book, so it is very kind of noir yeah. set. But I, I don't know. It just felt like it was lacking something. Um, as much as I absolutely love Robbie Coltrane, I, I don't know if he was the best fit for. Because in the Bogeyman, the comic book, Francis looks like Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. But Robbie Coltrane looks nothing like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> um, but I, I don't want to take anything away from his performance. He is very good and he's very funny. And there are some funny moments, but there's a lot of puns that just left me like, oh, really? Did yeah. they did they do that? Did they say that? That's really not funny. It's, it's okay. I mean, it's only 59 minutes, so I didn't yeah. waste too much of my time, but... <laughs> I it's not my favorite and I probably won't be watching it again but it was it was entertaining enough um as I say there was a couple of moments to make me laugh yeah. uh, but what about yourself what did you think yeah I think I'm more or less aligned I thought I thought that it it was a good story you know what I mean mm. like I, I liked the you know maybe the execution it's maybe a wee bit clumsy it was the the, mm. the the thing that I that I didn't like about it was the kind of corniness of some of it, you know what I mean, like when you know the 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 landlady Mrs Napier, played by Jean Anderson, who is a great character, but you know mm. she's got all these like stuffed cats um, around her house and stuff. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the scene when they're when they're cutting into the Christmas turkeys to when to try and find the the loot, um, you know, it was just it was just a lot of sort of stuff that they, they looked like they were setting up that just either fell fell flat fell flat on its face or just sort of fizzled away. Like there's this there's a moment in that scene when she gives Robbie Coltrane a hacksaw or rather from mm. Francis a hacksaw and he's cutting and then she so she sort of ominously picks up this cleaver and you yeah. think is she gonna attack him? You know what yeah. I mean? And is then, she the mastermind of the happy gang? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, they they don't even sort of tease that. It's just all very kind of matter of fact. And, they, and it turns out she was just picking the cleaver up so she could cut into some turkeys with it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's the call. Yeah, I, I, I think if it wasn't for Robbie for Robbie Coltrane, I think it would have been very difficult to watch because you're mm. right. You know, he looks nothing like Humphrey Bogart, but he's such a good comic actor that, yeah. you know, they. <laughs> I think his first line is... Uh, hasta la vista, Davy, and I just, yes. burst, I just, I just burst out. <laughs> hasta la vista, Davy. I just burst out laughing. You know what I mean? He's sort of, sort of mischievously running down the stairs, having just gubbed the guy with a chair, like, faking his own death with a sex doll and a dressing gown. Because that was the thing as well. Like when it started, it starts very ominously. You've got this ominous sort of gothic mm. old hospital, and then the silhouette of someone hanging from the ceiling. And you're like, I was like, yeah. eh, I thought this was supposed to be a comedy. You know, it's not until. It's not until David the orderly comes and opens the cell and realizes that it's a sex doll <laughs> and he gets gubbed with a chair and you're like, ah, okay, that is a comedy. But it's remember, Greg, it's 1992, not 2022. It was okay to have a bit of fun with um, fake suicides back in 1992. Well, there's quite a lot of things in this that you wouldn't get away with nowadays. Um, 
which I'll come back to later. But yeah, I agree. The Hasta la Vista, Davy is, <laughs> that, you know, it's his first line and it's probably one of my favourite lines of the whole show. Uh, but the way he delivers it. I think the the other part that made me laugh a lot is involves him and Gene Alexander, um, Mrs. Mm. Napier. And when he says, can you get me a piece? Yeah. <laughs> of, of course, but you don't want to spoil your breakfast. Fat man's goons. I don't know how they found me. What's going on? Can you get me a piece? Of course, but you don't want to spoil your breakfast. What? I can give you a piece on jam, a piece on marmalade, or a piece on butter. I bet a nice jelly piece would be your favourite. Am I right? By now, I had her pegged as a little crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, this, the, the, the little sort of exchanges between those two are really good. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, it was good. So, uh, as you said, this was written by um, John Wagner and Alan Grant. Uh, I was very familiar with Alan Grant because he wrote for DC Comics for quite a big time, and particularly mm. Batman. And uh, that was around the time I was reading Batman comics. So... Alan Grant is a name I've I've known for for many years. Like he had a big part in the the Shadow of the Bat series, and mm. he was one of the main writers of the Nightfall saga, which is one of my favourite Batman storylines. And yeah. exactly as you said, Wagner created Judge Dredd, um, and Wagner and Grant then combined on the Judgment on Gotham graphic novel, which oh, yeah. sees Judge Dredd and Batman go head to head, which I loved that graphic novel. Yeah, it's really good. So I was a big fan of that. Uh, so yeah, it was based on a comic book, which was a four-part comic book. And this show was initially broadcast December the 29th, 1992 on BBC Two. It didn't get great viewing figures and it wasn't well received. And yeah, Wagner and Grant felt that the film was a huge disappointment mm. due to the makers not granting them more influence. And Wagner actually said in an interview, here's a quote from him, uh, it showed just after Christmas, 92, opposite Gorillas in the Mist. So it went pretty well unnoticed. <laughs> uh, I used to have it on video, but I accidentally wiped it and I didn't care. <laughs> Robbie Coltrane in the lead, a BBC Two production, you'd think it would be good. It was muddled crap. To start with, they got a scriptwriter to adapt it who seemed intent on trying to resurrect a faded career by imposing himself all over our story. When he'd finished the story, it no longer made any sense. Just before filming was about to start, the director informed him that it wasn't funny anymore either. Could he make it funny again? So he went back over it and stuck much of our humour back in. Unfortunately, in the wrong places. <laughs> then we come to Robbie. Now, I used to like the guy. He's got a lot of presence, he's a good actor, and I understand now that playing Bogart is one of his big fantasies. So why, oh why, didn't he play the part properly? He did it tongue-in-cheek, as if yeah. Bogey realises that he's a loon, which is very much not the case. Bogey believes in himself 100% and then some. The result was the whole production didn't work and didn't do Bogey justice. So fairly... Uh Fairly damning review there by those guys. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, I think this probably what, what this reminded me of. Do you remember the comic strip with yes. um, Rick Mayo and, and, and Robbie Coltrane is in a couple of the comic strips. He's in one in particular mm -hmm. called The Supergrass with Aid Edmondson mm -hmm. and all those guys. And it felt a bit like an episode of the comic strip to me. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're sort of neat little hour, just not as well, <clears throat> just not as as well written um, as the yeah. comic strips were. I think it's, you know, I think there's all the makings of like a great 
So a movie or even like a great series, I think, you know, the set up someone who thinks that someone who 100% thinks are someone else and lives their life like that person. I can see why they'd be disappointed. I've never read the comic, but it sounds as though no. that's the way the character's portrayed in the comic. So I can see why they'd be disappointed, mm. you know, he because Coltrane sort of flits between Bogey Francis, although he, he won't let anybody call him Francis if at first, you know, not until the very end. And um, and bizarrely, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> at the beginning, <laughs> in the first sort of t- 10, 15 minutes of it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty uneven. But, you know, I think there's still quite a lot of fun in it, you know, d- yeah. d- despite all that, you know. It doesn't take itself very seriously. No, it doesn't. And there's a lot of stuff that is quite fun and funny in it there's a lot of stuff that nowadays would obviously be very offensive because i don't think i I wrote down some of the mentions that francis is described as and he's obviously mentioned as a bam pot a loony pure radio rental (laughs) and at at the end you know they um they say don't deny him this credit just because he was daft at the time yeah and it's quite undermining they they go to great pains to mention that he's schizophrenic and has these multiple personalities and i just don't think you'd get away with that nowadays in terms of being able to call him a bampot a loony (laughs) or pure radio rental (laughs) definitely not (laughs) <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, I think it, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure that schizophrenia really is as it's described in this. Anyway, I think it's probably a bit more no. complex than you know. Just a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. I mean, the way that they kind of describe it is that he has these multiple personalities that he takes on, and that was the other line that made me laugh. Probably the one of the three that made me laugh a lot, and it's when Doctor Branch is describing him and that you know he thinks he's Schwarzenegger occasionally Cagney sometimes Lacey (laughs) (laughs) Sean Connery twice but mostly he thinks he's Humphrey Bognar I did like that little Cagney sometimes Lacey (laughs) yeah that's the first so Fiona Fullerton's like quite an accomplished um, actress like she's a Bond girl yeah Yeah, a view to a kill yeah absolute knockout in this she's gorgeous She's oh beautiful yeah. woman, but like you know, she's I get she's sort of playing like the sort of straight character of it. But mm. even then, and the 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 sort of exchanges between her and the detective sergeant Ewer, played by Craig Ferguson, was a lot of just like daft puns in there that yeah that just you, you like sort of blink and you'll miss them. Like he says um, when they were the first time they talk on the phone, and the detective says I'm Ewer, and she says you're my what? You know, when I was mm. thinking really. <laughs> yeah and because obviously her name's Dr Branch and yeah the one that yeah. got me was the when they're having drinks or dinner and so your special branch no your special branch that yeah I was like oh Jesus really did you go there that's a, yeah. a bit too corny for my liking in terms of uh, a joke yeah. it's not funny and it's no hassle of Easter Davy definitely not and the thing now I, I like Craig Ferguson he's funny his stand up is particularly funny Sorry to say that he's not a very good actor. Well, not in this, at least, you know. I, I mean, Craig Ferguson's had quite an accomplished career. It was good to, it was quite fun to watch him back when he was still on drugs and <laughs> um, still <laughs> being old Craig Ferguson. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there's a, he's not the best actor, I would say. Um, there was a sh- film 
that he was in. What is the the one when he plays the Scottish hairdresser that oh. goes to the that I'd I, I'd thought about it and I was like, oh, maybe we should do that in the Swally um, in the near future. Um, the big tease. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I he, about yeah, that. plays the Scottish hairdresser um, that goes to this show. It's kind of like a mockumentary. So that could be something that we do in the the near future. But he had a hugely successful career, you know, uh, over the years. He popped up in a lot of stuff. And then, of course, he did over 2,000 episodes hosting The Late Late Show from 2005 to 2014 and was adored in the States. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's funny. They, they sort of, like, I guess it's the same sort of road that James Corden's gone down. Cause he's been, he was obviously quite famous in the UK, Corden. Mm. And then suddenly he's presenting. What is he? Is he does a late, late show, doesn't he, Corden? Or he took over show? from, he yeah. took over from Craig Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I fucking hate, can hate him, James Corden. I, I can't stand him. <laughs> but, uh, um, cannot stand him. But, but the thing about Craig Ferguson used to have a, stand-up alias when he started called Bing Hitler. Because I remember my dad had a couple of his albums and a really blue comedian, (laughs) by the way. You know, like sort of stag-do kind of comedian. But I mean, I guess he probably... I I mean, I'm sure he's not bothered about the comedy, but maybe the stage name these days. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Bing Hitler. I'm not sure um, in this day and age that you get away with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't think he was... um, I don't think he was great in this, to be honest. But then, he's only doomed, but he's written, you know. He's he's a little bit wooden, I would say. I don't think he was the the best in terms of um, his performance. I mean, I think we've said, you know, the the best kind of performance here is probably Coltrane. And mm. it's kind of one of the first times we've featured him on the Swally, isn't yeah. it? I don't think yeah. we've we've done anything really with him. I know when he passed, we we spoke about him a little bit on one of the, the episode just after he passed. But, yeah. you know, he's a, just such a commanding Scottish actor. Yeah. And, and one that is kind of seems to have been around all the time. And I was, I was trying to think back, and I think I probably... When I was a kid, I probably mostly knew him from the Tartan special adverts. Yeah. And the young ones. And then genuinely, the thing I probably think of most if someone mentions Robbie Coltrane is Nuns on the Run. <laughs> because that film had such an impact on me. I used to watch that film all the time and loved it. I watched it again a few years ago. It doesn't hold up very well. But <laughs> it's a. Uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. One of the first things I would think of when I think of Robbie Coltrane. Um, but of course, he went on to to have an amazing career in terms of you know playing Fritz and Cracker, mm-hmm. and you know he's well known for Tutti Frutti and stuff. Um, Davy the bus driver from Still Game. Mm-hmm. But as we said when we spoke about him, he'll probably be known mostly as Hagrid. I think so. Yeah, I think obviously for the sort of generation after us, like that yeah, and and subsequent generations, hundred percent that he'll be he'll be um, known as Hagrid. I mean, for me, I think I remember seeing a bit of the first episode of Tutti Frutti when it was repeated because it was repeated on I think only a couple of months after it was first broadcast and it was I saw a bit of it mm. one Saturday night my mum made me turn it off I think he'd I think there'd been a bit of bad language or something and she, I was only nine or ten so she maybe turn it turn it turn it off um and the the Tarrant special adverts but I saw I saw nuns in a run at the cinema. <laughs> 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 and I was, I'd have been 11 and um, it was a 12. And the thing about Nuns on the Run for uh, old uh, 12 year old Greg is that it's got a load of naked nuns in it. 
having a shower yeah. after playing yeah. basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, but that yes. scene, that scene, he's sitting there. He's, you know, he's sitting there in the in the habit, and all the hey, you're not going to have a shower, sister. And, oh no, I'm, you know he's, he does that little soft Irish accent, doesn't he? And everything. No, 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 I'll I'll, I'll go in later. <laughs> Beautiful naked women walking around. But that's if I think of nuns in a run, that's probably there's two scenes I think of, and one is Robbie Coltrane doing a slam dunk, yeah, <laughs> in a basketball match. And the second one is exactly as you described, him sitting there doing this, you know, lilty Irish accent as mm. Sister Ophelia <laughs> and just this nun leaning over him to grab a towel and her nipple is right in his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But I mean, he's, the, amount of, <laughs> the amount of movies that he's done, like, you know, he's, he's, even in the, he's even in Flash Gordon, although he's only credited mm. as... Man at Airfield. He's in um, National Lampoon's European Vacation as Man yeah. in Man in Bathroom. <laughs> but apart from like those, you know, you've got The Pope Must Die, where he is the lead. It's his film. You know, it's The Pope mm. Must Die that came out a year after Nuns in the Run. Um, and then obviously he's got a couple of Bond films under his belt as uh, Valentin and Dmitriev Zukovsky doing mm. like a fairly hammy Russian accent, but it just it fits really well in that first. Pierce Brosnan Bond film, I think mm. they, that one that character and him playing that character, I think uh, it's, it just he's he's just exactly where he needs to be, I think, in that film. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, he is brilliant in that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, Ocean's Twelve. Uh, I know. Then obviously, more laterally in his film career, it's been the Harry Potter franchise. How many Harry Potter? Yeah, films effectively, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's eight Harry. Po- just eight Harry Potter films. Yeah, because they split the last one into two, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. That was a trend for a while. I think they did that with Twilight as well and The Hunger Games. So all those kind of young adult films. I mean, is Harry Potter young adult? Is it not more kids? But I don't know. Um, I think it. I think it sort of, of becomes a bit more young adult. I remember seeing a bit of. Um, I don't know if it was the first part or the second part of the last story. It was on at Christmas one year when I was still living in the UK, and I thought, well, oh. because I I had seen the Philosopher's Stone when they're all little kids, and that feels like mm. a little like a sort of little kids fantasy film. But when, I hadn't really yeah. seen any of the other. I, I have since seen. I've probably seen most of them because my wife's a big fan. Um, but, but I might have even seen all of them. But um, I hadn't seen. The last couple, anyway, and that one of those ones was on at Christmas. I remember thinking, fucking hell, this is a bit like, it's pretty hardcore. Oh, is it? Does Emma Watson do hardcore in it? <laughs> no. no, she doesn't. You know, you knew what I mean. Uh, I won't be watching it then. <laughs> um, I, I guess the other kind of main cast member is Ultravox lead singer Majur who pops up as the main villain in this, just chewing the scenery. And his opening scene is him lying in the bath listening to Vienna, which is just wonderfully meta kind of, oh, it's it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I I, I suppose after uh, Band-Aid, I guess... Vienna is his his opus, right? That's what he's going to be remembered yeah. for. That was number two on the day I was born. Was it Vienna really by Ultravox? Yeah. What was never got one? to number one? Shut up, your face by Joe Dolce. Oh. Well, <laughs> so that's the that that's what kept Ultravox off uh, number one. Yeah, I remember seeing something about that. It's quite sort of apocryphal, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I um when I was born, number one was You're the One That I Want by John Travolta and um, oh. what's her name? 
Olivia Newton John. John. Yeah. So I was I was hoping for something cooler, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> fucking you're the one that I want. Affirmed. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you say, Midjour, obviously famous for Band Aid, famous for uh, being an Ultravox, and famous for being the Boogeyman, Mister Happy, um, in terms of the, yeah, the leader of the Happy the fat Man in this. The fat yeah. man, of course, yeah. but he's not very fat. He's lost a and few pounds. He, he certainly has. <laughs> and he's only got a few scenes, but he's he's great in this. Like, he's chewing up the scenery, but he's he's pretty good. He's not bad at all. I mean, I was I had a look at Majur's Wikipedia because I wanted to see if um, he had done any other acting. His Wikipedia page only has him um, act. It doesn't even mention him acting in, um, in The Bogeyman. There's, like, no mentions of uh, any other parts. But um, on IMDb... He's, uh, what's he got on IMDb? Sing Street? Or that's, no, it's all soundtrack stuff. Yeah, it's all soundtrack. Do you know he wrote, do you know he wrote the music for Metal Gear Solid Five, the video game? <laughs> I did not know that, but that is a wonderful fact that I will, will now know. Wow. Yeah, I did, yeah. Who knew? Is that set at Christmas? No, it does a cover of um, The Man Who Sold the World, the, 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 the Bowie song. Ah, okay. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, so I know that because IMDb knows that. Oh, he's got an episode of Still Game, but as I'm set, uh, but as a, he, he, he plays himself, but he's got 30, 38 acting credits. He he is the the big baddie in this in terms yeah. of the Mister Happy, and he's the one that's kind of the leader of the Happy Gang that are stealing jewelry from the um where was it from the um the the safe from deposit the Ar- from the Argyle Arcade. And oh, yeah, yeah. they they robbed there, and he stuffed them in turkeys, and they leave the Glasgow Smiles Better stickers at the scene of the crime, which I thought was a nice little touch <laughs> yeah, in yeah. terms of the because that would have been round about the time. But mm-hmm. he towards the end when he's facing off against Bogey, he delivers a a great speech about how he wants to return to the old values where men were men and joined yeah. Razor gangs and lived in closes, <laughs> and only the strong survived. The real Glasgow before all this culture crap. So, of course, this was around about the time of Glasgow, the city of culture. And I thought that really spoke volumes of, I bet a lot of people felt that way, of, I want Glasgow to go back to the way it was before all this fucking culture shite. I mean, I I remember it before all this fucking culture shite, and it was fucking shite. (laughs) 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 Well, a lot of the 1990... Early 90s Glasgow was a far cry from early 80s Glasgow, like my first memories of the city. Um, but I remember when all that was going on. I mean, it was it was quite a, it was, it was quite a cool time because they had like, the Glasgow Garden Festival and um, they had like a big concert in George Square, like the big day out and stuff like that. And it was, uh, it, was it was good. It was cool. But I, I know that there would have been people that just didn't appreciate it. The irony is, I think Majur himself was probably quite invested in <laughs> Glasgow becoming the European city of culture. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, he's. Um, I thought, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, the the first scene in the bath when he's on the phone and he's listening mm. to Ultravox, I was like, oh, come on, you know, do you not get somebody better than Majur? But the later scenes are, he's pretty, he's good, and that that final one, he's particularly good. Yeah. The one in the necropolis. Yeah, I thought he was okay, actually. He came across as kind of the menacing villain. Yeah. And you could tell where he was coming from, what his kind of purpose was. And yeah, no, I, I thought he was actually pretty good in mm-hmm. this compared to a lot of the others. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, there's there's, there's some great... Anya O'Connor, who plays Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not exactly... <laughs> not exactly true in the no. scenery. <laughs> now, 
as you alluded earlier, there's a, a whole host of other great Scottish actors in here that pop up in little bit scenes. So we have, you know, Freddie Bordley, as I mentioned, Ron Donaghy, uh, Jake Darcy. Now, Opera Joe that he meets <laughs> Poor is... Joe Pavarotti. <laughs> yeah, is credited as Moss Heights. Yeah. Now, that's Morris Rose. 100% Morris Roves. Yeah, it's 100... As soon as he... I was like, it's Morris Roves. And then when it credits, I'm like, Moss Heights. And yeah. when I looked on IMDb, it's Moss Heights' yeah. only credit. And I googled Morris Roves, Moss Heights. There's not any hits. So I, I don't understand why he didn't go as Morris Roves. If it was just... I don't know, was it some sort of tax evasion scheme or something? <laughs> that he's gone as Moss Heights? We could, we could ask him at Cosmo's uh, Christmas party next year. Well, <laughs> he's we long gone, oh, so yeah, I don't so think we can. can. We can ask Cosmo. <laughs> But I, I, yeah, I didn't understand that, why it's Morris Heights. Because I'm like, it, and it was driving me mental. Because I'm like, that is Morris Roves. It's 100% him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was weird. And it, it took me a second. Um, because if Morris Roves one of those actors who, I think he's he's good at almost making himself look a little bit different. So he, he still looks like mm. Morris Roves, but you know what I mean? Um, they think of all this, the things that he's done that we've covered. And he is, you know, he, he sort of physically is different in all of them. So it, for a second, I did think... Who is that guy? He's really familiar then. Yeah. You know, they, by the scene when um, Francis gives him some money, that's when I realised who it was. Hey, Joe. Go buy yourself a season ticket for the opera. Why, Jimmy? Why, you're a saint, so you are, Jimmy. Jimmy, you could tell him a million times your name was Bogey, and every guy in this town would still call you Jimmy. And they, it's to your point, the only... The only acting credit Moss Heights has is this film. <laughs> mm. so. Yeah, because he almost, when he's initially speaking to him about the opera and stuff, like it almost is like he's shrunk down and he's got mm. his hairbrush forward. He's got the beard and the glasses. So yeah. it's, it's difficult to tell. It's not the, the Morris Roves that we've seen in uh, Beautiful Creatures or, yeah. or The Big Man or um, uh, The Aztecs, for example. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he does, it looks very different compared to, to how he normally was. And that's why I wondered if it was some, like I say, some sort of tax evasion that he yeah. is not credited as Morris Rose in this and credited as Moss Heights, which <laughs> seems quite strange. Jake Darcy, by comparison, is unmistakable. <laughs> I, I mean, it's complete. It's his audition for Pete the Jakey, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you know, when he's asking the the lady with a ladle for a winch a just wincher. a small winch just a, a wee, wee winch <laughs> just a wee winch <laughs> now that is quite funny I suppose why um, yeah. when bogey comes up and why would she have a winch <laughs> she yeah. operating machinery <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> a powder are you one of the drug addicts <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think this is the most obscure comic book adaptation ever i think it's if if it's not it's definitely pretty high in the list right yeah yeah i mean like there's a lot of like a one-off kind of comic book stories like a uh, uh, ghost town i think was one that got made into a film wasn't it with scarlett johansson and um yeah uh, what's her name uh, uh god what the hell is it it's got a right sort of sort of yorkshire second name isn't she she's not related to like one of the actresses of last of the summer wine like it's like a granny or something like that um let me see uh ghost world uh it is thora birch thora birch oh is she is she genuinely related to 
I think she is. Um, I think I read that somewhere. Uh, why? I, I was like, Birch, I'm thinking of Thoda Hurd, who was in Last of the Summer Wine. Is that <laughs> where you're getting confused as well? Or <laughs> it's, it's possible. I'm just reading her. She was born in Los Angeles to Jack Birch and Carol Connors, who were both ex-pornographic <laughs> film actors who appeared in Deep Throat. <laughs> Okay, so she's probably not related to Dame Flora Hurd then. No, she's not. She's of German, Jewish, Scandinavian, French, Canadian, and Italian ancestry. So there okay. you go. Yeah, that was, a, you go. That was a, it, another a bit of false news there from the culture swallow. But a bit of fake news about uh, Flora Birch's connection to Last of the Summer Wine. So I guess talk about the story. So uh, Clooney escapes the the mental hospital, Spin Binny mental home and (laughs) spin binny (laughs) goes um, goes off to to solve this crime which as Dr. Branch uh, tells Detective Ur that he will invent a crime in his head and we'll try and follow the clues. And that's exactly what he does. And he's obsessed with Humphrey Bogart. So it's it's the Maltese Falcon type thing. He's after the fat man. And he kind of stumbles upon this, the happy gang who have been robbing jewellery and stuffing them in turkeys. And that is quite a good scene when he goes in to the, the factory and he just grabs an empty Bell's bottle and pretends to be a Jakey. Yeah. But then breaks in effectively to the, the factory. And... The guy that is chasing after him and attacking him, like, why doesn't he just open a door? He smashes through every <laughs> door. And oh. even the, the toilet later on when he smashes through and Bogey does say, you know, you really should learn to open doors. Yeah. I'm like, like, what's the need for that? Like, that's not that amusing, but... He does have, he's fucked he, himself he, by smashing through the doors. Yeah, and he does have uh, one of my favourite lines in this. After he... After He's first assaulted by uh, Clooney and thrown at the toilet, and you hear him shouting in the background, "It's Waldy time!" Yes, <laughs> one of my choices for archetypal Scottish moment is "It's Waldy time." <laughs> yeah, I loved that. I thought that was good. Really um, chuckle. Uh, yeah, so they chase him. He ends up obviously back at the club, um, smashes a turkey through the window. Uh, well, through the back of the bar. And which leads to the the face off with uh, with Majeur's character uh, McCurdy in terms of the the leader of the Happy Gang, yeah. um, and then obviously that's kind of the the climax of it. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of story in this no, either, is there? Not really. I mean, there's there's a scene that is completely bizarre and pointless, but it still made me chuckle a bit. And it's the woman who thinks that she's Jimmy Cranky in the police station. Yes. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> Uh, do you want me to show you? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. We take my clothes totally off and show you. <laughs> I, I, and I did laugh at that as she's uh, they're like escorting you out. No, we're just going to escort you out. She goes, okay, fan Debbie Dozy. Well, let's get this straight. You're Jimmy Cranky, the Jimmy Cranky. Aye, it's just the telly makes me look wee. Do you want me to take all my clothes off and give you a wee cake? No thanks, Hen. I've just had my tea. Show the door. Oh, you can't lock me up. I'm a famous TV personality. We're not going to lock you up. We're just going to show you the door. Fan Dabby Dozy. Yeah, what a random scene to put in. That's so that. And that, the actor there playing um, sort of yours colleague who's interviewing her. And he's... He's kind of, he's you know, he's all in for that scene. Do you know what I mean? You know, he's yeah. like, oh no, you're all right. I've 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 just had my tea and everything, and, and a bit later on and stuff. You know, like, well, he just feels a bit underused. He's in this, he's this sort of well done but largely pointless scene with this who thinks that she's Jimmy Cranky, and then um, we don't really see him again. You know, apart from apart from the pub scene when he tells him that he go home. Yeah, 
Yeah. So we hear about Boogie's childhood, and it was obviously unhappy, as they say. His father yeah. was a Heather beater, unfortunately. Heather was his mother, which is a poor joke, but it, it was quite amusing. Um, but yeah, obviously we don't condone any of that on the culture spally. But he's he's denied that his mum is dead, and that's why he effectively has this kind of disorder. Yeah. And it's not until the very final scene he's climax in the graveyard, and he finds his mother's grave, and that almost cures him. Effectively, mm. they say. Yeah. And but then is he cured? Because he realizes he's not getting any credit for what he's done. Yeah. And as he's being wheeled into the ambulance, he goes back into the the bogey character. The, the bogey character. So is he cured or is he not? What do you think? Well, I would say probably not, just based on that little moment. But I think you know the backstory of his character is where it sort of comes undone. This I think is a production because ninety nine percent of it is played for laughs. You know what I mean? Mm. By the daft puns, the sort of corniness, and everything else. But yet, you know, you've got that first scene at the beginning that we spoke about earlier, where you, it, you know, the audience is led to believe that somebody's hung themselves in their in their room, and then you've got this really sort of tragic backstory that you've mentioned involving cruel fathers and, um, mm. you know, like the mother being beaten and then being murdered ultimately and then you know you've got his reaction to the song nobody's child so of course yeah you know when he has this reaction to nobody's child even that's sort of done for laughs a bit you know when he's he stood at the bar and uh, lauren's singing the song and then you have that sort of funny scene between him and freddie Bordley. um mm. you know what i mean um and it's like well i think i know that the sort of sensibilities have, have moved on and you know kind of humor is maybe not as ruthless as it probably was as it was back then evidently but putting that to one side the sort of theme the sort of themes just don't tie together mm. and i think i think ultimately that's what lets the whole thing down you know yeah i agree his backstory is maybe a little bit too dark compared to to how he he is and as you say the comedic kind of aspect that he has so it does feel a little bit disjointed i mean i think i mean overall i i think this will amuse anyone that's fond of like a a natural kind of quirkiness of the yeah Scottish temperament and humour. Um, it's it's by no means a masterpiece or anything, but it, oh. it is funny in places and it is quite quirky. But I agree, you mentioned earlier, like, I think it's too tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Like, they, they attempt to make, like, every other line a pun or, like, tip the wink, you know, at each turn. And that, it, it's just a bit tiring. And I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but it is, like, the what sums it up for me is the your special branch no your special branch you're like oh really like yeah. oh come on like and i know it was 1992 but it's just a lot of the jokes just fall really flat yeah i, d- I don't think that humor was really working anymore by then you know it's sort of all yeah. it's, so, it's sort of reminiscent of even even like you know we mentioned it earlier when we're talking about robbie coltrane's sort of filmography but we think about the national lampoon vacation film with and mm. Chevy Chase. The humor's mm. sort of similar, you know, this sort of corniness, the, the sort mm. of funny conversations and the, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I think it's one, I think it's compared to those films, this is a bit clumsy uh in mm-hmm. how it's written. Like those scenes are written. And I think as well, because we you know, we'll laugh at like Clark and Rusty sharing a beer in the desert or <laughs> that kind of thing. Because it's, you know, I mean, we know it's, you know, or them leaving the dead granny on the porch and that kind of thing. We know that it's, but we know that it's just, it's ridiculous, but it's in America. 
which is, you know, at that time, America just seemed like an incredibly exotic, aspirational place, probably to people of our generation when we were growing up. It doesn't really work in a familiar setting, you know, so it's mm. it's Scotland. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's all filmed on location in Glasgow, and there's some great shots on the kind of West End, Byers Road, stuff like that, and the river and the bridges and things. But, but even if you don't, if you're not familiar with Glasgow and you live in Scotland... It's Scotland. So it's just weird. That sort of corny, silly humour in a familiar environment. Just, you know, I think it just sort of falls a bit flat for me personally. I can't speak for everybody. I'd say that that kind of corny humour works if you are doing like a a sketch show like Scotch and Rye, for example. You can have like a 10 second sketch that has that kind of line and then you're already on to the next one. And you've kind of, you've laughed about it because you're already warmed up laughing at yeah. the previous few sketches with Ricky Fulton and Mark McManus or something else. You're already kind of warmed up, so you would kind of laugh at yeah. a joke like that in that scenario because it's 10 seconds and you're already moved yeah. on. Yeah. Whereas in this, you're like, oh, really? It's, yeah, it's a little bit too much, I think. I would agree. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And the thing with a sketch show as well is some sketches will really make you laugh and really tickle your funny bone and stuff. And some mm. sketches won't and they won't really land. But then, exactly as you said, in a few seconds' time, you're on at something else with a completely different setup, different characters. Mm-hmm. With this, it's, you know, it's a, it's a story. You know what I mean? It's it's all connected. You know, so you're you're with these characters for the full hour. So if you know, if this if they're not making you laugh early on and the intention is of this production is to make you laugh, which I assume it was, I would hope so. <laughs> anyway, because otherwise yeah. there's some unintentionally funny moments. Um it create I think become a bit frustrating, especially if if you turn up expecting to be amused by something you know what i mean yeah no i would agree with you on that yeah completely so uh, any more on the bogeyman shall we put it through our festive swally awards yeah i don't really have um much more on it to be honest i think we've we've kind of spoken about it as much as we can um yeah why not let's put it through our swally awards what's up first then greg so the first then the first award is uh the bobby the barman award for the favourite pub in the production. Hey, if Freddie Bordley is playing keyboards, I will go to McCurdy's bar anytime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, is, there any, is there any other bars in there? In the, in it? No, I think that's the only one you see yeah. is the McCurdy's bar. So yeah, that's the only one I think. Next award then, uh, the afore and often mentioned uh, James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. This is one that Cosmo turned down, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a few to choose from, but I went with Ron Donaghy. I went with Jake Darcy, but I guess ah, you know yeah. D- D- Donaghy is as is you know they're both like right up there, aren't they? Um, I'd say they're yeah probably on a par with each other. Um, yeah. Either or could probably win it. Yeah, you know you got even you know Moss Heights slash Modest Groves, Bill Murdoch. Yeah, that's a, yeah. But I think I think just in terms of um, impact, I think those two are the are the two. Okay, next one then the Jake McQuillan your Tzut. Award? What did you go for? Um, I went with... I mean, there's a few to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of moments, but I, I went with Clooney shooting McCurdy at the end because right. it felt like a little bit of a tease because obviously McCurdy shot Clooney yeah. and then it's kind of like a bang, hey, mm. tease Um mm. But there's quite a few to choose from. You know, initially I did have 
has to live easter day if you're getting battered <laughs> um, at the beginning but uh what did you go for i went for um uh, for francis thumping jake darcy in the soup kitchen okay um, yeah i mean it, it was a bit it was ruined a bit by annual connor saying you've gubbed him in a fairly unconvincing yeah. way but yeah <laughs> I, went, I went for that next two awards so there's the usually it would be the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. I don't think there's anybody in this that you'd want to see naked, apart from maybe no. Fiona Fullerton or <laughs> or, or, or McCurdy's wife, who uh, answers the phone when he's in the bath. Yes, I uh, yes, I, I I find her very attractive. Yes, I wonder if the boy Mackenzie who directed The Outlocking had directed it, would have got to see uh, what we call Trains Cock <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the next award then is the. Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. Um, not really any gratuitous swearing in this at all, is there? There's not gratuitous. I think there's a, a bloody earlier on. The yeah. only, what I had down for this, because it did make me laugh, is at, towards the end where they're in the graveyard, McCurdy and Clooney, and McCurdy shouts out, Doogie, rap! And the two goons come yeah. out and yeah. Clooney turns and shoots both of them. Yeah, I don't know which one it is, if it's Doogie or Rab, but he shoots him. And as he's running off, he goes, Hey, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, like, you say that if you've stubbed your toe or yeah. if you like catch your fingernail or, you know, you hit your finger with a hammer if you're putting up a picture or something. <laughs> you don't say, Hey, you bastard, if you've been shot. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Next one then, uh, archetypal Scottish moment. Oh, what did you go for for this? Well, because my mum was a nurse in various hospitals in Glasgow, I went for the sort of, <laughs> I went for the pissed up staff Christmas party when they're all on duty. Because <laughs> I just, <laughs> I don't know if it's archetypally, if that's an archetypally Scottish NHS thing that I'm sure it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. But um, it certainly happened in the early 80s. <laughs> Probably you. I, that's you, fair enough. What did you go for? Uh, there's something, and it's not particularly Scottish as such, but it's something that just seems very Scottish to me about porridge and kippers for breakfast. <laughs> the, the porridge, certainly. Yeah, but the kippers, probably not. But it does, I, I kind of associate it with Scotland, but I know it's not because I, yeah. I did Google it. Is kippers a Scottish thing for breakfast? And it's not. It's quite yeah. popular in England and quite popular in the Netherlands as well. Mm-hmm. But just porridge and kippers just seemed for me a bit Scottish, but um, other than that, it's, this is Laldi time. Yeah, it's Laldi time. Yeah. And the last one then, so who, the Big Tam Award, who wins the production for you? It's only one choice, really. Well, Robbie Coltrane, isn't it? Yeah, has to be, it's his, his his vehicle in it, he's, yeah. You know, and he's, he's so entertaining, uh, Robbie Coltrane, like, you know, he can do something like this, and then it's only, this is only like, maybe two or three years before he did Cracker, which is yeah. like gritty, dark drama, you know. But he, he, even in Cracker, you know, they especially those early episodes when Christopher Eccleston was still in it and all that, you know, they, the storylines are fucking... I remember one, and it was like a... It was like a mixed race or young black fella who he had been raping women, but he'd also tried to bleach his skin because he was like because he was so uncomfortable with his ethnicity and mm. you know and all the way through it you've got Coltrane playing Cracker who is really funny <laughs> in a lot of the scenes so like he's and and not like in a silly way like his humour sits a lot of it's sort of gallows humour but it's and it sits 
it sits really well in the the sort of format of the show. But yeah. you know, but it's you know, like the scene when he's interviewing Bobby Carlyle after he's been arrested, mm-hmm. and he's just shouting Celtic at him. And Bobby Car- Bobby, Bobby Carlyle's he's playing a scouser and he's singing this Liverpool chant. It fits Robbie Coltrane, and Robbie Coltrane just shouting Celtic, Celtic. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. You know, I've as you're well aware, I have just finished a, a rewatch of all five series of A Zane Pet. And I was I'm genuinely this afternoon I was thinking I'm gonna settle down and start watching Minder from right. the very start. But I might watch Cracker instead, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. the thing I mean it's what it's almost thirty years old Cracker, but yeah. it's still got a lot of heft. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was from. phenomenal on that. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. But yeah, I think, yeah, he has to win, definitely. Yeah. So, well, that okay. was the bogeyman. That Don't know if we recommend it, but we'll, we'll see. I think it's only an hour out of your life. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting to watch. You know, it's worth yeah. watching, I would say, but, you know, it's just sort of take it for what it is. But the bogeyman was my choice uh, for our, this Christmas, uh, our festive episode, which means you have the honour of selecting our New Year's Eve content for our Hugmanay show. So what are we watching in time for the next pod? Well, Greg, our next episode, as you've just said, will be our Hogmanay episode. And over the years, we've covered Scotch and Rye, Two Doors Down, The Steamy. But there's another Scottish Hogmanay institution that we haven't covered yet. So this show ran from 1993 to 2020 and was on BBC One Scotland every Hogmanay over those years. I am, of course, talking about the fantastic Jonathan Watson show, Only an Excuse, all about Scottish football. But with over 27 years worth of episodes to cover, I thought we would just pick one to to look at because there's there's too much content. So I have picked the 1999 episode because I've watched quite a few of them on YouTube and I'll be honest, this one was probably the best quality. Right. It also is long ago enough that we can have a little bit of nostalgia rather than Mm. do one from a few years ago um so yeah so i picked 1999 and it is available on youtube for anyone that wants to watch it to do your homework so that's it next episode 1999 episode of only an excuse (laughs) brilliant Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on the socials, you can. We're on Instagram at cultureswallypod. And we're also on X, formerly known as Twitter, at swallypod. And Greg, we have a wonderful website as well, don't we? Yeah, we do. You can find us at cultureswally.com. Links to all their socials and content about Scottish horror, movies, TV. Come and visit us there. Wonderful. Right. Well, have a wonderful Christmas, Greg, because I know I'll speak to you because we're recording our new episode before Christmas, so I'll speak to you before then. But um, have a wonderful Christmas. Yeah, you and, too. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll see you next time. See you next time. I want you to give yourself up. I want you to confess your crimes. I want you to make reparations to your victims, and I want you to stop poisoning this city. And I want a return to the old values, Bogey. You know, when men were men and joined razor gangs and lived up closes, and only the strong survived. You know, the real Glasgow, before all this, this culture crap. <laughs>